You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to another episode of Nightmare Alley, the the detour podcast in the Nightmare on Film Street feed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are here today to talk with writer-director Natalie Erica James about her debut feature, Relic, coming July 10th. From IFC Midnight. From IFC Midnight. I don't know if you'll remember if we go in the Wayback Playback Machine, 2017, Fantastic Fest. Kim and I were talking about a few short films that year. In fact, I think at the end of the year, when we were putting together our top 10 feature films of the year, we made a point to mention two short films, uh, and one of which was a little film called Cresswick, directed by Natalie Erica James. Yeah, in the same vein, too, as Relic, both deal with kind of a familial horror. There's some ancestral-related... I don't I don't know how much I want to talk about this movie, John. It's really hard not to I don't think it's spoiling it, but oh boy. We want people to go in as as blind as possible, right? I mean, we always kind of want people to go into movies with as little info as possible, but I think with Relic, there's such an emotional impact to the movie that you almost just want to like sit somebody down in front of it and put it on and like just take Everything out of the room that could be a distraction. The dog, the phone. Oh, absolutely. If you're, if you know. Crunchy rappers. <laughs> oh, boy. Not, definitely not the kind of movie you want to bring snacks to. But, you know, if you, like me and Kim, are the kind of people that get distracted easily. So. I, I, I would highly <laughs> recommend putting your phone and your tablet away when you sit down to watch Relic. It is, it is the kind of movie you're going to want to turn the lights off for and, like, really immerse yourself in. Uh, partly because it's a bit of a slow burn, but a lot of it is... Super moody. Super moody and deals with the relationships between three generations of women in this insulated family. And, you know, like like your own family, it's a lot that goes unspoken that says the most. That feels like a crochet, John. Something, <laughs> something a spiteful grandmother would put in. Coming soon to the Nightmare on Film Street merch store. Oh, boy. Yeah. John crochets. They would look awful. A happy home is a haunted home. Okay, well, that one I'd buy. Trademarked just now. <laughs> If this is your first time hearing about Relic, um, honestly, I would encourage you to go check out the short film Cresswick. I really think it plays well. You don't they think are, so? Oh, check out Cresswick after you watch Relic. Because they, they, yes, they are very complimentary of one another. But I think there's some imagery in Cresswick that might take away from maybe some elements of Relic. I think if, if you're unfamiliar. I think you're totally right. Okay, so I take back what I said. Cresswick after Relic. Just, just <laughs> you know, be happy that when Relic finishes and you're like, oh God, I need another movie like that in my life. There's a short film that you can check out right now on YouTube for free. It's released through Alter, which uh, I think is the horror arm of Gunpowder and Sky. Yeah, it's on there right now. I highly recommend you check it out later. Uh, but Relic, um, we keep tiptoeing around it because we don't want to talk too much about it. But uh, the the movie features three incredible performances from three amazing actresses who you'll recognize 
all of them. The matriarch of the family is uh, is a woman named Edna, played by Robin Niven, who you'll recognize from uh, the Matrix trilogy if you're uh, as obsessed with the Matrix trilogy as, as I once was. <laughs> um, she's one of the counselors in the underground society. But also Emily Mortimer, who, of course, from Shutter Island. Uh, and the Scream franchise. And the Scream franchise. Scream 3 specifically, right? I couldn't uh, remember which one. That's why I said franchise. <laughs> it's the best one. How could we forget? Is it, though, John? Depends who you're asking. and Depends uh, what bangs of Courtney Cox you're into. Yeah, and Bella Heathcote. Uh, I think from... third is my favorite bangs. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> and Bella Heathcote, from, who you'll probably recognize from the Neon Demon. Uh, they're all incredible in the movie, and it's it's a very personal story, uh, but also feels the same when like as an audience member. Like I think we've all experienced something like this, or at least know somebody close to us who has, about going to see someone that's at a point in their life where maybe they're losing themselves a little bit. Yeah. Like they need to maybe be taken care of. And like, that's heartbreaking in its, in itself. But what if it's also a fucking horror movie guys? Well, and this is something that's so widespread. We all have to deal with, the aging process, whether it's kind of the realization that we ourselves are going to have to go through that, but also because we've all experienced aging with the elderly members of our family, either your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your parents. Yeah. There's there's different stages of life, and that final stage is not something that is talked about out in the open as much. And as a horror fan, obviously that's something perfect to explore through the horror genre because there's so many beautiful and painful emotions there. And, oh God, Relic is just such a gut-wrenching and wonderful fucking journey through right. that through that experience. And it's, oh boy. It's one of, it's the, it's the most devastating movie I've seen all year. It's insane. Yeah, I, like, I, I, I don't know if we've talked about it at all on the podcast before. We but, haven't. Uh, I definitely, like, bawled my eyes out afterwards and oh, yeah. it was a weird kind of cry where subconsciously like I was reacting to the imagery there's some really great imagery in the finale I physically reacted to the imagery before I had like consciously processed it which is really weird like I had just started crying before I thought about it. I was like oh my god that's some really great images but I was already crying. It was it was so weird. Uh, the last time I had a, a really like raw reaction, I think, was seeing Hereditary in the theater. Sure. I don't know if a lot of general audiences kind of got into Hereditary as much as we anticipated people were, but I remember seeing it and being really like shooketh afterwards. <laughs> like I was full out like haunted after seeing uh, Hereditary and I haven't had an experience like that in a couple years and having that kind of experience in my own home watching a movie on vod is pretty awesome because i've been missing the theater experience mm-hmm. i've been missing like that connection to movies and seeing relic and getting so like swept away by it emotionally and visually it's it's a really unique experience and it's great to see that movies can still capture you at home like that oh yeah because if i had seen this if I had seen this in the theater, John, you would have been like rushing me out of the theater with like a hood over my head. I would we would have, have both had to leave the theater with or, jackets over or our faces. Or somebody would like, one of those employees trying to sweep up popcorn would have been like, can you two please leave? And we're like, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so true though. And like we do talk about it a little bit in, in the interview you're about to hear. Um, because it did have its premiere at Sundance and I, I could not imagine. Like I've I've seen some. I'm a. Can crier. you imagine being like, a crier with a badge on? Oh, be like right? I'm working, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> no, not even that. Imagine it's the 1990s and we're getting those TV ad spots where they're literally interviewing people coming out of the, oh, what boy. did you think? Like, oh boy, I, uh, I'm dead inside right now. <laughs> just, oh, just. Kill me now. <laughs> oh boy. And you know, like we, we, we talk a lot about how impactful the end of the movie is. And, and again, I, I want to stress that there are absolutely no spoilers in the interview. We almost don't even really talk about the plot so much. Like we talk about the, the emotional journey that this movie takes you on and, and also Natalie's journey getting the film made. But you know, if, if, if also hearing about a movie being super sad and devastating isn't something that immediately grabs your attention, the, the horror imagery in this movie is also incredibly haunting. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's this very spooky, isolated house in the woods vibe. Like, you're getting yeah. all those traditional horror moments. Um, Some incredible nightmare imagery. Like, almost like a haunted house that exists inside your own soul. But like I will say, even just the opening of the movie, like the cold open, is some of the most haunting shit oh my God. I've seen this year. Like we've watched this movie twice now. The the water going down the stairs was a, oh, yeah, yeah, but... was a full no, John. It's not a spoiler. It was the first thirty seconds. It is the one of the most lasting images in horror, yes. and I. I fucking enjoyed it. Like as as somebody who really really loves the oatmeal and Nightmare on Elm Street, <laughs> the the water going down the stairs was just such a haunting image. Oh man, I love this movie so much. Yeah, this movie is an experience, and I cannot wait to talk to you all about it after you've had a chance to see it. Um, you know, it's it's it is a shame that this movie hasn't had a chance to have a full theatrical run, and to like like Kim was saying, and like we talked about in the interview, to to really get that communal sense of seeing something in a dark enclosed space the way the way we want to see horror movies but it still pulls something out of you which is a testament to the the power of filmmaking and the power that this movie has uh and you know the the incredible talent behind everybody involved including writer director natalie erica james before we send you off to the interview you can take a quick listen to the trailer by the way, the film is hitting VOD July 10th, so mark that down on your calendars. It will also be in drive-ins, so check and see if it's hitting you actually with a theatrical quote-unquote release. Yeah, IFC Midnight has been, IFC in general, has been doing an incredible job with the drive-in releases because not, not only are they making sure that you have the opportunity to see this at a the only movie theater that's safe to visit right now, they are also doing classic drive-in movie posters for each of the releases. Like <gasps> so the, cool. Like the Wretched, and even Relic, which it's so weird to see like a grindhouse type trailer poster for this like really slow burn movie, uh, but they're incredible. And uh, I have, I, you know, IFC deserves a lot of awards for what they've been able to do during the quarantine. And just a little note, it's just John and Natalie at the top of the interview because I arrived a little tardy, but I'm there. I promise I'm there. <laughs> you make an appearance. <laughs> uh, fashionably late, we like to call it in the it biz. fashionably late. But here's the trailer for Relic. When was the last time you spoke to her? It's been a few weeks. Gran? Mom? Mom! She called me a few weeks ago. I think she was scared. She thought someone was coming into the house. T? 
Do you know where you were, Mum? I suppose I went out. What's this? That was on the property when your grandfather inherited it. His mind wasn't there in the end. You can't put Gran in a home. She can't live on her own anymore. She has to be watched. Everything all right, Gran? I thought this was where it got in. Who? Whoever it was coming into the house. Mum, what is it? It's here. Under the bed. There's nothing under the bed, Mum. Will you check for me? to help you, Mum. I can see you. <laughs> this house seems unfamiliar. Natalie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about your upcoming film Relic. And congratulations okay, also on you. uh, on your debut feature. You are you're really coming out of the gate crazy strong. <laughs> That's amazing to hear. Thanks so much. We're we're also really uh really big fans of your short Cresswick uh when we saw it a few years ago at uh I think it was at Fantastic Fest. Um and we were dying yeah. to see a, a feature film from you and I'm I'm so happy that it's finally here. Amazing. Yeah, we um, we definitely made that as like a conscious proof of concept. So I'm glad it worked. Yeah, that it, that short really sits with you. And I, I just rewatched it again also before we before we sat down to talk and it still hits. And and I'm amazed at how it like, well, I'm amazed at how it works as sort of a companion piece to to Relic. But do you see it as more of a spiritual sequel or just an expansion? Uh, yeah, because we had already written a first draft of Relic, we, instead of trying to cram it into a short film to make a proof of concept, we kind of very consciously thought, okay, let's come up with a story that is much more succinct, but still captures the same tone and theme and setting as well. So I would say they're pretty, they're pretty strongly linked. And I think you can see a lot of Kreswick in Relic as well, in a few elements. Certainly, you know, the tone and what it's saying, but also certain motifs like the father's chair becoming Edward's candles. Um, yeah. You know, there's a character who's having kind of childhood nightmares resurface and this image of like a figure in the forest that also is quite consistent. So, so it was a conscious choice to uh, remove the idea of a like all female cast dealing with uh, like three generations of, of women in a family. Was that solely to tell, because it was, you didn't have enough time to tell as much of a complicated story in Creswick? Yeah, it felt like there was um, a lot more setup required in, you know, the plot of Relic that we didn't have time for in Creswick. And, you know, Creswick also came from a pretty personal place as well. My, my dad was quite ill for some time when I was 18, 19. And so I lived with him while he was recovering and... Yeah, I guess it was like feelings of a role reversal between parent and child uh, in a certain way. So that, I think, carried over 
both in Kreswick and Relic, but just focusing on different types of relationships. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code program does a project like this that's obviously so personal to you does that to make it easier to mm -hmm. to deal with the horror that's at the center of this story or is it a little more complicated i hope so yeah i don't know it could just be like an exercise in masochism right i'm not sure but i think so i think it um it's a way to work through your emotions in a way and i think uh, most writing is it's a way of processing and you know, hopefully, I feel like the most important thing is to be truthful. And so in writing something like this, it is it's useful, but it's also essential in, I guess, talking about your own experience, or at least your emotional experience, if not, you know, the real thing, because obviously relic is very, very heightened. <laughs> yeah, I, I, would, I would hope so, at least. Yeah, like it's the, the, the emotion. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, this this movie yeah, is really exactly. devastating in a way, like in in more than one way, really. And I don't know that I've really seen another horror movie that's so heartfelt and uh, and impactful. Especially the the well, I mean the entire movie, but the ending uh, is is deeply unsettling mm -hmm. in the most loving way possible. That had to be hard to to juggle all of that together. Yeah, I think um, I think the biggest tonal reference that we pointed to in the making of it was something like Jay Bayonne's The Orphanage. Okay. You know, it has that really yeah emotional gut punch at the end, but then the scares throughout are also terrifying. And it was it was definitely a balancing act. I think in the process of making the film, you often get feedback from people in the script process as well as edit, and it was interesting to me how much. Some people want to push the horror and some people want to push the drama. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I kind of knew it had to straddle both. And it was very much for our minds, but also a tricky balancing act. I, I can only imagine. You know, like every movie is, is a long journey to get to the screen. Uh, and like you said, you'd, you'd made Creswick as a proof of concept. Were there, like, mm -hmm. can you talk to me a little bit more about developing this and selling it like was was this a hard sell because it goes to some pretty dark territory yeah um so developing it we worked i had some Aussie producers on board from the get-go and so we worked with our state funding bodies green australia and Canada Forest, and they were great like they, I, I feel like at no point was someone like you are taking this too far um That's but then cool. when we got american partners on board conversely i felt like they were like no, you need to like push this further into <laughs> horror. And maybe, and maybe Australia's approach is more like, no, this is a drama with horror elements. So, yeah, it was fascinating the kind of push and pull between the two. But I, I think the biggest pushback I got was on the ending, mm. not necessarily from development people, but but sometimes from, I guess you know people who had read the script and want to have conversations or. 
some HODs, you're like, how are you going to make this, you know, emotional and have the emotional impact that you want it to? Because it just sounds grotesque to me. But, you know, I that that was the one thing that I think people got stuck on. But I'm glad we didn't, you know, pull back on it because, you know, for me, it, it, it's almost like a funeral, right? I won't spoil the ending, but it's tied to real emotion. And that's how, you know, Emily played it in her character. And so I think that's why it, it manages to um, have the intended effect while still not, you know, pulling the genre punches. Yeah, no, it it definitely works, uh, and you know, like obviously, there's there's so much credit to to your actors for it, but uh, the, the just a side note, I guess the the few people I know in the press circle that have seen this movie, the the majority of the conversation that we're having is like, so how much did you cry at the end of this movie? Because it's it's it has devastated <laughs> everybody that I know. Oh, that's I, I hate to say that's amazing to hear, but that is amazing to hear. Um, yeah, that's. I feel like my 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 job is done in a way. That's that's that's, that, um, that's perfect. Sorry, Kim. Kim is here with us now. Hello, hello. Sorry, I'm late. Oh, great. We were just talking. No about, worries. Uh, Hi, Kim. Hi. We were just talking about how much we all cried at the end of the movie. I'm so glad I made it for this. I cried so hard. <laughs> oh, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Thank you. That's that's awesome. What was it like working with uh, with Bella and and Emily and Robin together? They all look like they really inhabit yeah. these characters, right? Yeah, they they're also incredible, and I feel really lucky, especially as a first timer, that they seem to just really trust me. Yeah, they certainly challenged me, of course, but it really did feel like a proper collaboration. And you know, making a horror film is emotionally taxing on these guys. I think. Bella cried for about four days straight. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you have to go to some dark places and dredge up a lot of your own shit. So <laughs> for them to be willing to, you know, go there with me was, I, I just feel so lucky and um, blessed, really. Have you had a chance to, to talk or watch the movie with anybody that was maybe worried about the ending being too dark and emotional? <laughs> Um, good question. I, no, no, not really. I, I try, I have to say, I sat in the first Sundance screening and have not watched it, watched it since because I think you just get so, you know, worn out by the post-production process and I've probably watched it, you know, 300 times or lot. So, yeah, not really. Um, I, I am curious though. Maybe they haven't, they haven't seen it yet. And what, like, just because, I mean, like, we, we, you know, we see the big movies that make their way out of Australia, but, like, what is the, the horror filmmaking community like in Australia right now? I think it's pretty healthy. I mean, we tend to make films that are much lower budget, but I think there's a thinking, you know, in America as well, that you can make horror for lower budget, mm -hmm. so it's an appealing kind of avenue for a lot of people. I'm personally, yeah, I feel like I've got a little gang of specifically like female horror directors there's quite a few of us that I feel and yeah I think it's pretty I think traditionally there's a an idea about how horror performs in the Aussie box office like apparently it doesn't play that well oh. I think the box office is like an exception so it's quite different to the state but 
certainly it, that doesn't mean there's not a lot of horror being made. And I think it's quite exciting at the moment. There's so many, you know, young Aussie directors who are working in the genre space. So, yeah, I think it's pretty great overall. I think someone said the, the phrase Aussie new wave, like genre new wave. Oh, cool. I'm not sure. That's I'm not sure if that's a thing, but, you know, it would be cool if it was. Well, yeah, because you would be part of it, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that sounds pretty rad, yeah. <laughs> and is that, like, a space that you want to stay in? Like, do you want to continue working in genre film and, and keep with horror? Yeah, um, everything I'm writing at the moment is a... I'm writing three scripts, and they're all kind of sub-genres within horror. So I think I am definitely have always been drawn to telling stories in this way and through this genre. But, you know, my tastes are a little bit broader as well. Like, I'm a big fan of, I suppose, like, psychological drama in general and grounded sci-fi and um, maybe stuff that has, like, a elevated kind of magical realism element to it. Mm. I'm not super interested by, you know, telling really re- realism and cinema verite kind of stories. I love watching them, but it's just not the way that I my brain works. So, has, has so been, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is yes. Has uh, has been has being stuck at home during uh, like a pandemic given you any inspiration for new stories at all? Um, I did. I've written a couple of short films with my partner, who's also a filmmaker, and they're all just you know kind of silly horror films that hinge on one visual kind of image. And I think we're still hoping to shoot something just for fun. Yeah, like no one would ever see it. But I have to say that isolation has definitely, I guess it's not too different from my normal routine in terms of writing. And this year was supposed to be more about traveling and going to festivals as relics. But conversely, it forced me to just focus on the writing, which, you know, I guess isn't a bad thing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, that's actually kind of unfortunate that Relic's going to miss out on that big kind of festival experience because um, this movie will get you talking. Like, it's got a lot of a really strong emotional core. So it's it's kind of unfortunate that we don't get to get that, like, live first viewing experience with everybody. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. There's a, there's a few festivals that are still going to play at overseas. So I think it's playing in Korea pretty soon. And, um, oh, cool. Yeah, maybe, like, some Euro- European countries, so it's got a bit of a life, but I doubt I'll, I'll, I'll make it across the ocean to, to um, attend, yeah. Well, at the very least, I know it's coming to, to it's still, like America. That's sweet. Yes, exactly, okay. yes, which is fantastic, and I'm infinitely grateful that we, you know, managed to squeeze in our premiere, because I know a lot of filmmakers didn't even get that first screening, so I mean, really this is a great time for VOD, though. Very true. Like yeah. And we're exactly. all in, we're all in need of a good ugly cry. <laughs> I can't I can't get over the idea of, yeah, of like it, like it's it is unfortunate that this isn't gonna play at some festivals because there there have been festivals I've been to where I watched a big sad movie and it's it's hilarious to watch mm-hmm. a group of people just with red swollen eyes trying to mingle <laughs> in with other people that watched a comedy for the last hour and a half. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and I think, I think particularly for horror as well, you just want that in the right experience for the audience because it, there's no escape, you know? Like, you can't just scroll on your phone in a lit, you know, room at 
you gotta do what you gotta do. And thankfully, drive-ins are still open. So we can still go see a horror movie when they're available at drive-ins. Uh, and, you know, we like to ask everybody, uh, if you could program a double feature at the drive-in, what, what would your dream double feature be at a drive-in movie theater? I would probably go with uh, maybe, like, something like Don't Look Now and The Shining. Ooh, oh, that's a I feel like double bill. Yeah, I feel like they should always have some nostalgia elements to them. Yeah. That's perfect. Those are those are two very also unsettling movies that just send you off in like a very weird emotional state once they're done. It's a very on brand. Some favorites. Yeah. Thank you again for taking the time to talk to us, Natalie. Uh, we can't wait for everybody to check out Relic. And yeah, like it's it's it's, all, it's all. already so much, in my guys. top ten of 2020. Well. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Really appreciate your thoughts and uh, taking the time as well. Thank you. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.